Last week, we started our study through the book of Acts, and we talked about the fact that Luke, the author of the book of Acts, uh, actually wrote two books, uh, and they were kind of a collection. It was like two halves of one kind of work, literary work, uh, the book of Luke in your Bible and the book of Acts. And so last week, as we were reading through it, the book of Acts started with this sentence, verse 1, Acts chapter 1, verse 1, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. And so the implication was that Jesus was not done doing and not done teaching. Okay, he hadn't stopped, like Jesus wasn't like, cool, that was a sweet life, resurrection, mic drop, I'm out. No, he kept working and kept doing through the apostles and would now work through his spirit in the world. And just so you know, for the rest of this book, we are going to continue to see Jesus doing and teaching. He's not done. He wasn't done then, he's not done now. He is still working in this world. And I felt like that was super important to point out about Jesus continuing to work and to do because, like we said last week, this is like a documentary. This is the documentary about how Jesus worked through the people to build his church. And so, you know, depending on your Bible version, uh, you might look at your heading there and it says the Acts of the Apostles, right? The Bible that we handed out to you uh, says the Acts of the Apostles. And it's, that's false. Like that, they, the Bible translators put that there to help you. Uh, that's actually not helpful. It's not the Acts of the Apostles. It's the Acts of Jesus, right? The Apostles are not going to be up there in heaven, and when you get there, they're going to be like, did you see what we did? Did you read our book? No, they're going to be like, holy cow, did you see what God did in us? And so here we go. Acts chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 1 because it's easier. In the first book of Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Verse 2, until the day when he was taken up. And after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostle whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me for many days from now. So when we... When they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And when they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who has taken up from you into heaven will come to you in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. So here we go. At this point, Jesus has raised from the dead uh, not too long earlier, a couple months earlier, uh, spends 40 days with the apostles teaching them about the kingdom of God. And this is the last conversation that they have while he is on earth. And after they have this conversation, it's like they turn around, and he's gone. He's like, where'd he go? He's gone. And they're like looking up, they're like, He's, he's just not, what happened to him? And they're standing there, apparently, wondering where he went. And these two angels are like, hey, quit looking in the sky. Go do what he told you to do. And if we go back a step to this last conversation that Jesus had with his disciples, we will see that he gives instructions on what they're supposed to do. And then also in this conversation, there's some expectations that are a little bit different from the disciples. And so we're going to talk at 
talk through this passage in that framework, right? We're going to look at the instructions first. We're going to look at what Jesus actually said you should be doing so we understand what he's telling them to do. And then we're going to circle back around and we're going to look at the expectations that the disciples had because I think they have a lot in common with our expectations and our timing and the way we look at things. So this morning, we're going to actually look at the instructions. So here we go. Um, and this might be right now, just if you're, if you're a mind wanderer, daydreamer, kind of off on your own little thing, which sometimes I do. If the preacher sucks, I'll just read my own Bible, right? So maybe you're doing that today. Good for you. But right now, listen to this, because this is the most important thing that you'll hear all day. The first command in the entire book of Acts is to wait. You see that? That, you're welcome. Like, that's worth the price of admission. That, the first command in the book of Acts is to wait. Now, if you're new to church and you're not super familiar with all this stuff, like, don't feel bad. We're super glad you're here. I don't want you to feel bad. But that probably doesn't mean a ton to you. You're like, okay, first command in the book of Acts is to wait. You're fine. But if you've been around the church for a while and you've read through your Bible and you've heard people talk about the early church and first, test, you know, first century Christians and you know, all this stuff and our church fathers, and when we think of those things and we think of the book of Acts, we're usually thinking like the Holy Spirit coming with a rushing wind and tongues of fire and people getting healed and snake bites being okay and shipwrecks and breaking out of prison and angels and like there's all these things we think of when we think of the book of Acts right and it's power and it's advancing and it's like how did these 12 people become part of a movement became the most influential group of people on the face of the planet how did that happen well the first command that Jesus gave them was to wait was to wait and this is so important for you to know because we do this thing as humans where we get the why of something. And then we think that the next step is to go out and get it done. Right? We get the information. We're like, cool, I'm, I got it. I'm on this. And like, if I came up to you before service, I was like looking around. It's like, ah, oh, man, we need more chairs. Like 90% of you would start looking around the room for chairs to grab, right? And if you saw chairs, some of you would just, you're very helpful. And I love that you're helpful, but you just go grab the chairs. And that's just our mindset. I don't know if it's America thing or a 2000s thing, but we have this thing that once we discern what we should do, then we just, our new job is to go do it. And we bring that into the church. And when we come into the church, we go, okay, God, once we discern what your will is for us, then my new job is to go make it happen. And newsflash for you, God doesn't need your help to make it happen. Hey, he's not up in heaven like, oh, man, I hope they do what I want them to do because I told them the instruction. No, no, he has a plan. And not only does he have the plan and the goal, he has the means by which we are to accomplish the goal. So he doesn't say, hey, you're going to go be my witnesses. Figure it out. He says, you're going to go be my witnesses, but wait. Wait for the promise of the Father, which is the Holy Spirit. We think that once we discern God's goals, then our new job is to make it happen. And this might be a revelation to some of you right now, but God doesn't need that. He's actually called us to do something much different. He gives us the goal in the passage that you will be my witnesses, but first he calls us to wait. And if you pay attention, not only does God have a goal of his people being witnesses to the ends of the earth, he also has the perfect means and the perfect methods and the perfect timing to accomplish his goal. 
Our first job is not to go out and to do, but first to wait and to listen. Hear me right now. The primary posture of the church, our primary function as the church, as the people of God, is not implementation, but it's listening. We are not primarily an organization who implements the plan of God. We are primarily an organization who listens to God. That's our primary posture. I'll give you an example. Most people who are not musical think it would be awesome to be musical, right? And like, I wish I could play a thing, a guitar or a drum or a keyboard or an instrument or like, that would be super awesome. Or if I could sing, like everybody who's not musical thinks it would be cool to be musical. But what they don't understand is being musical doesn't actually start with playing an instrument or singing a note. Like the people who are musical can hear. That's why you watch those old American Idol things and then people are like, Wah! and you're like, oh my gosh, you're terrible. Can you not hear how awful you sound? The primary thing that you need to do in order to be good at any type of music is to be able to hear. So that you, it doesn't matter if you can sing a note or play. Everybody can play a note on a piano. You just ding, right? But can you hear if that note matches other notes? Can you hear if what you're about to sing matches the note you just played? Can you hear if this is on tempo or if it's not on tempo? Or like Randy used to say, man, this dog ain't your thing, right? Like, can you hear if this is right or not right? And, and we all have those people in our lives who are like super musical, right? And they could just walk up to like a wooden table and play a song on it. You're like, how's that happen, right? Because they could play anything. It's not that they know how to play every instrument. It's that they can hear. They can hear. And so in any musical setting, does not matter what the musical setting is, that's the most important function is can you hear? That's why sometimes if somebody sounds really terrible, like you turn on the Super Bowl or something and the guy sings, he's like, it's usually because he can't hear. He's just singing something, but he can't hear what's going on. And so in the same way, the church, the most important thing as you walk in this morning, can you hear God? Can you hear? Can you hear what he's trying to say to you? The most important skill is to be able to listen to God. It's also why religious people in some situations are so offensive, right? I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where like somebody's like trying to stand up for God and it just makes you cringe because it's just like, Ugh. like, yeah, tone deaf religion is cringeworthy. Right? You're, like, you're just singing so off key right now and it's killing me for Jesus, right? Like this is, everybody knows that feeling, right? Because you can't hear. You can't be sensitive to what God is actually calling you to do and listening to how his spirit and leading is leading you. And if you think about it, listening to God is actually what sets us apart from the world. We, we think that doing things for God is what sets us apart from the world. Not true. Everybody is out there doing things. Everybody on planet earth is doing something. Right? They're all doing something. They're out accomplishing a goal. What's different about the people that love Jesus, that are the people of God, is we listened to God before we went to do the things we were called to do. So you may have thought you would come to church and you'd hear a message on all the things you need to do. You need to do this and do that and do that. That's not what you're going to hear this morning. First, you need to listen. It's what sets you apart. 
The people who make the most mistakes are the ones who do not listen to what they hear from God. I promise you. Nine times out of 10, the biggest mistakes in your life are because you either didn't take time to listen to God or because you listened, but you just heard you didn't listen. You just like, yeah, I know I probably shouldn't be doing this, but I'll be all right. And you go do it. And you're like, it wasn't all right. Like you got there and you're like, I knew I shouldn't have done that. And this is going to be a theme for literally the rest of this story, that the people of God are called to first wait and listen and then respond and do. And when you see a mess up, it's because they didn't listen. It's because they didn't wait. And we see this in the second instruction, actually, as well, right? Look at verse 8. The second instruction at the second part of my verse, is it says, you will be my witnesses, right? So verse 4, he tells them to wait. And in verse 8, he tells them to witness. Those are the two instructions. It's actually not more complicated than that, right? He says, wait and then witness. So let's think. What is the most important function of somebody who is a witness? Let's, you, let's pick like, okay, everybody knows like the courtroom setting because every show on TV is like a cooking show or a crime show, right? So like go to the crime show, go to the courtroom setting, right? And in the courtroom setting, imagine the lawyer comes up. I call a witness to the stand. Witness gets up there. Tell me what you heard. And the witness says, I didn't hear anything. Well, tell me what you saw. I didn't see anything. Were you paying attention? No, actually, I wasn't really paying attention at all. Then you're not a witness, right? We have this idea that witness means testify, right, in the church. Cannot get a witness is like, say something. No, no, no. Are you watching? Are you paying attention? Are you listening? A witness needs to first watch, listen, pay attention, before you speak, we do. Somebody tell me, do we need more people on planet Earth who are speaking but have nothing to say? No, right? We just went through an election. Talk about like months and months of speaking but have nothing to say, right? We do not need any more people who are just talking to talk. Witnesses first listen. Witnesses first see. Witnesses first pay attention. And then they have a testimony to speak, right? But this is what, here's where I'm getting with all of this. Here's the really big point. The default posture of the people of God is listening. That's our default. That's not like super spiritual. That's like first level. Like the first level, the default. Like I'm a, I'm a child of God. I, I consider myself a follower of Jesus. Okay, step one, listen. It's waiting, it's not doing. It's listening, it's not speaking. It's hearing and seeing and paying attention to where God would lead us in the world. And you may have thought that it was something else. And that's fine because lots of people tell you, it's a following of the rules or you need to come to church or you need to give this much money or you need to read this Bible version. No, 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 you need to wait and to listen to the Lord first. Now there's an element of these two instructions of waiting and witnessing that we haven't talked about yet. And that's an essential piece of the puzzle. And we see it in verse four when Jesus said this, wait for the promise of the father. And he says, you will be baptized by the Holy Spirit. So he's not just saying wait. He's saying wait because after you wait, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And we'll talk about what that is in a minute. But it's this idea of the Holy Spirit is coming. So in essence, Jesus is saying, I'd rather you didn't go than if you went without the Holy Spirit. 
I'd rather you just stay at home than if you went to do what you're going to do without the Holy Spirit. Now, these are actually talking about the same thing. If you skip down in verse 8 when it says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. All of this is talking about the same thing. The promise of the Father, the baptized with the Holy Spirit, and the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. All of those are talking about the same experience that is actually going to happen in Acts chapter 2 when we get there. And, and maybe you've heard this term. Maybe you haven't. It's not a big deal. People call this sometimes the baptism of the Holy Spirit because that's what Jesus called it right here. And I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this, uh, but just a quick rundown of all, how all of this works. The Bible teaches that once you place your faith in Jesus, once you trust in him, once you're like, all right, God, I'm in. What do you want me to do? Like, I, I trust you. I'm in. I want your will for my life. The Bible teaches at that moment, the Holy Spirit comes in you. The Holy Spirit now lives in you. We are spiritual beings. Our spirits were dead because of sin, and God makes us alive again by putting his spirit inside of us. And from that moment forward, when you place your faith in Jesus, you now have the spirit of God inside of you. And the Bible tells us that the spirit of God points to Jesus. So we have this faith in our hearts that we should be following Jesus. And we have these desires that we never really had before. I kind of feel like I should read my Bible. I feel like I should pray. I feel like I should hang out with those weird Christian folks. I feel like I should go to church, right? You have these weird desires. Why? Because the Spirit of God is now inside of you. And then also, usually what happens when this happens to somebody is some of the stuff they used to really like, they don't like anymore. They're like, yeah, this was really cool when I was 16, and now I'm, I don't really... You listen to a song, and you're like, nah, not feeling more. Like, you hear a joke, you're like, I don't really think that's funny anymore. Right? And all that stuff, like stuff starts to change. Why? The Spirit of God is now inside of you. And then all of a sudden, like you get filled. It's not that God just makes all the stuff that used to be fun not fun anymore. He makes new things fun and more fun in a different way. Like now you start to serve people and you're like, man, this is like fulfilling and like purposeful and meaning. Like I feel like I'm making a difference in this world, right? Or you start to read your Bible or you start to pray or you start to do the things that God has called his followers to do. And it invigorates your life in a way that other things have never invigorated you before, right? And so like these things start to change. Why? Because the spirit of God is now in you. Now, on top of that, every once in a while, God sees you need a little boost. Right? It's like in the race car games, everybody on the playing the video gaming systems, right? And you hit the nitro button, it'll go, right? Every once in a while, God sees you need a little extra of the Holy Spirit. And he could do that whenever he sees the need, okay? But the first thing we know is we don't push the button, he pushes the button. When he sees that we have the need, he pushes the button, and you get the extra little boost. And the crazy thing about this is, you don't even usually know that it's happening until somebody else is like, whoa, you're going fast. Or you look around and you're like, oh, how long have I been doing this? Right? You don't even know the boost is happening. It's kind of like Megan and I went to buy a car one time. It was like 10 years ago. And um, long story short, we needed a car like that day. I know that's the worst way to shop for a car, uh, but, you know. It happened. And so uh, I looked around on the internet, and there was this one that was a really good price. And I called the guy, and he's like, yeah, I'm getting divorced. Got to get rid of it. So he, knew, he wanted it gone that day. I needed a car that day. I was like, great, this works out fine. The only problem, not problem, but kind of different thing about it was it was a luxury car. And we had never owned a luxury car before, right? It was an Audi. 
And we were like, okay. So uh, before I went to buy this car from the guy, they had another one at the dealership. So I was like, let's go to the dealership, test drive it, see if we like it before we just buy it from this dude. So May and I go to the dealership and we're like, can we test drive this car? The lady's like, sure. And we get in the car. She's super nice, friendly. And we get on the freeway and Megan does what she does in our Toyota, right? She floors it. In an Audi, that's different. And so all of a sudden, the lady in the front seat, like her demeanor kind of changes. She's like, and I was like, what's going on here? And I look over Megan's shoulder and she's going 104 miles an hour. And I was like, Megan, you're going 100. And she goes, oh, I didn't know. It's so smooth. And I was like, yeah. And the lady over here is like, she had no idea. And she just pushed the gas like she always did. And this car, that's exactly what happens when we see this baptism of the Holy Spirit comes upon you, right? You're just going, doing your thing. And all of a sudden you're like, we are flying. This is awesome. And there's over and over examples in the Bible of people who had strength they didn't know they had, that people walked through difficulty they didn't know they had, people had joy in situations they never should have had joy, people knew things that they never could have known. Sometimes people speak languages that they never knew before. They're like, German, who knew, right? Sometimes there's a prayer language that they didn't even know they had. Like, I'm praying, and I still know I'm praying, but the words that are coming out of my mouth is like something else, right? That's called tongues, right? We have all these examples in your Bible of people who are just going and doing their thing, and God's like, nitro, and then all of a sudden they're going, whoa, this is crazy. Why? Because God thought they needed the boost. And when we see it in the Bible, there's two different Greek words that kind of differentiate that. Uh, the Greek word that in English is translated in, that's just a regular like we talked about. You believed in God, you have the Holy Spirit in you. But then there's another Greek word that is translated in your Bible, upon. And that's the boost button, right? That's nitro. That's when God's like, the Holy Spirit has come upon you. He's not just in you. Now it's like baptism of the Holy Spirit, powerful. This is happening. So. Like I said, there's a bunch of examples, not only in your Bible, but we had a small group this week. And we were sitting in our small group, and we were talking about prayer and things like that. And this lady in our group was like, hey, like I, a couple years ago, I was sleeping, and I felt like I just woke up in the middle of it, and I felt like God was saying, you need to pray for this person. And I hadn't seen this person in like months, long time. And so I just prayed for him, and I went back to sleep. And I woke up that morning, 9 a.m., I got a text from this person I haven't talked to forever. And it was like, yeah, that's the Holy Spirit. That's nitro button. That's God just being like, here we go. You need a little extra right now. Wake up. Right? Two weeks ago, Megan and I went to uh, a prayer meeting of some pastors over in Coeur d'Alene. And that morning, Megan couldn't have slept. Uh, she wasn't sleeping good. Our, our daughter sometimes sleeps through the night, sometimes doesn't. So Megan got up, fed her, couldn't go back to sleep, and was reading uh, things on the internet. And there was this article about how the suicide rate has just spiked during COVID, especially among children. And it was really just breaking my wife's heart because she runs our children's ministry upstairs. That's where she's at right now. And so she was just praying. And she wrote this prayer to our lead team that morning that was like, I pray for the children of Riverstone Chapel. And she prayed for a bunch of your kids by name. It was like, I pray for this kid and pray for that kid. Uh, and, and she's like, God, just take care of our children. So we go to this prayer meeting that afternoon. And uh, this guy comes up to us at the end. And he's like, I feel like God wants me to tell you this. And he said some really encouraging things about our church. And at the end of it, he goes, and I don't know why, but I just feel like God wants me to tell you he's going to take care of your children. Like, that guy doesn't know us. He doesn't know anything about us. That's the Holy Spirit. 
That's what the Holy Spirit comes upon you when I want you to do like when you when I look down and like this needs to go this way. That's what God does. Now, pay attention to the whole statement here. Right. Because I tell those stories just to tell you, it, it, people misunderstand when we talk about the Holy Spirit. They think it gets super. Right. Like, no, it's, it's fine. You won't even know it's happening. You just keep doing what God's called you to do. You just wait and you listen and you do what he's called you to do. And you'll look around one day and you'll be like, I'm going 104 miles an hour. And the lady that's running the test drive is freaking out. But it's OK because it's the Holy Ghost. Right. <laughs> There's two other pieces of the puzzle besides just the power from the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So here's what Jesus just said. You will receive my power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll get everything you want. Is that what he said? That's what he said. You'll receive my power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you so you could be healthy, wealthy, and wise. And if you just give me a thousand dollars, God will multiply it and make you rich. No, that's not what he said. Right? That's, that's some of the crazy Holy Spirit people that you've seen on TV. That's what they say. What Jesus actually said is, you'll receive power from the Holy Spirit and you'll be my witnesses. The power is to be a witness. The power is to be a witness. And the power is not to help you do your thing. The power is to help you do God's thing, which is to witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The power of the Holy Spirit is given to be the witness for Jesus. That's what it's for. Now, if you flip that question around and you're listening to me talk about this for the last 15 minutes, you're like, Jared, I don't, I don't know if I really know what that whole power of the Holy Spirit thing is. Okay, well, tell me how you witness. Tell me about your life. Tell me about the moments that you desire to be a witness. Where are the areas of your life where you are intentional about being a witness for Christ? And if you go, uh, you know, well, that's probably why your Holy Spirit power is like, uh, you know, right? That's, th this is the correlation. The power of the Holy Spirit is to be a witness. Now, I'm not telling you to go out and witness. Tell everybody on the, right? We just talked about the first command in the book of Acts is to wait. But I'm saying if you're never intentional about waiting on the Lord and saying, how would you use me? How would you use my life and my gifts and my resources and my time? I'm sitting on the sideline of my kids practice for hours and hours with these other parents. If you have no intention of being a witness in that situation, you're probably never going to receive this kind of power. God's never going to hit the nitro button because you ain't racing. We go from thing to thing in our own little world, in our own little schedule, in our own little kingdoms, and we don't have any power because we don't have the intention of being a witness. And one of the themes you're going to see as we go through this book is God gives his people what they need when they need it. What they need when they need it. This is not America, right? In America, we're like, no, we just get all this stuff in case. Right. And we have like mini storage and stuff. Why? This is all the stuff that I haven't seen in 10 years. But just in case I need it. Right. I'm going to pay somebody else to hold on to it. And we would do that if we could with the Holy Spirit. It's like, hey, God, you give me a bunch of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to put it in my backpack. And then when I need it, like when I'm walking through the world and I see an area of situation that needs witnessing, I'll pull out the Holy Spirit because I got plenty. And I'm like, boom, everybody gets saved. And God's like, no, that's not how it works. 
You walk through the world expecting that when you need it, I will provide. And then I will give it to you. Our version of this is like, you give me up front and I'll go do. His version is, you go do and I'll give you what you need when you need it. Who do you ask to pay you up front? People you don't trust. People you don't know. Right? There's friends of yours that will call you this afternoon and be like, hey, I need 20 bucks. Right? And if it's like some number you don't know from Vegas, you're like, nah, nope. Right? I don't know you. I don't trust you. But if it's a good friend, you'd be like, oh, all right. He'll be good for it. He'll take care of it. Or there's somebody you know, and because you know him, you don't trust him. That's a whole nother sermon, right? <laughs> but we do this thing where we act like we trust God, and then he calls us to go be his witnesses or to wait on him. And we're like, no, nah, I'll do it when I know that I'm, I got the stuff I need. And he's like, no, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. And that doesn't prove that you know or trust me. I'm getting low on time. So two things as we finish. The first thing, this is an oddly simple plan. This is an oddly simple plan that God gives, Jesus gives instructions here to his disciples, right? I point out the simplicity of the Christian life whenever I can because there's this misconception that this is really complicated. It's not really complicated. You just read it with me, right? Word for word. Did you see anything there that was like, oh my gosh, how's that going to work? He said, wait for the promise of the Father. It's going to be the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Then you'll be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. That does not sound complicated because it's not complicated. Just like the instructions are simple, the location is very simple. Jerusalem's the city they live in. Judea is the country they live in. Samaria is the country next door, the ends of the earth. Right? It's not difficult. It's simple. So here's how this is going to work. You're going to get up tomorrow morning and pray. Because you heard this teaching. You were so inspired that you're like, man, that Riverstone Chapel, they just, it just changed my life. And you're going to get up tomorrow, like 5 a.m., and you're going to pray. Right? You'll be like, God, give me the power, the eyes, the 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 tenacity to be your witness in the world, and your kids are going to come interrupt you. And you're going to get them all settled, and then your wife's going to come on. You never did this thing. I told you to do the thing. And, you're like, and here's the temptation. You're either going to see those as interruptions to your time with God, or you're going to see those as answers to your prayer. Right? You're going you're gonna to think, oh, I, I, maybe God's going to be the Holy Spirit to be a witness to, because this is what people usually do. There's two ways that this gets sideways. People see the power of the Holy Spirit and they make the power of the Holy Spirit their idol. And their whole goal is to get the power of the Holy Spirit, not to get to Jesus, not to get to God. And if he wants to give us the Holy Spirit, he will. But we think like getting the Holy Spirit is the goal. Getting the Holy Spirit is not the goal. Loving Jesus is the goal. Right? So that's how people get sideways. That's the first way. The second way that people get sideways is they're like, yeah, I want to be a witness. And all they think is to the ends of the earth. And it just starts in Jerusalem. It starts where you are. It starts in your house. It starts with your kids, your wife, your mom, your dad, your brothers, your sisters, your Thanksgiving table, your neighbors, your street. Your banker, 
the cashier at your grocery store. That's where it starts. The power of the Holy Spirit is given that you might be a witness. Start where you are. Start where you, don't get sideways and be like, oh, we need to get the Holy Spirit. No, 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 you need to wait. You need to listen with the intention of being witness. And then when you go out and do in the places you already are, the Spirit will empower you. See, very often people hear this message and they don't think that it applies to their marriage or their parenting. They're like, oh, the book of Acts, Holy Spirit, tongues of fire. This is going to be awesome. It's like, no, take out the trash for your wife because she's been asking for a long time and you're being lazy. Play with your kids. Stop looking at your phone. Right? Could that be the Holy Spirit? Probably not. There's no tongues of fire. Actually, it could absolutely be the Holy Spirit. The world does not need any more hypocritical Christians where they're out preaching the gospel on the street corner and their, ki their kids hate them. We're good on that. We're like seats taken, already full. Don't need no more of those, right? You look for the Holy Spirit to empower your life, to be a witness right where you are. You start where you are, then you go next door. You get next door, Bible says it'll go to the ends of the earth. Next week, we're going to look at the disciples' expectations, and I think it's going to really help us, but here's where I'm going to finish this morning. I don't know where you're at. I don't know exactly what's going on in your life. I don't know what you're thinking about as you walked in this morning. I don't know what God's doing in your heart, but I do know this. There is one way forward. You're like, Jared, you don't know me. You don't know what way forward. It. Yes, I do. There's one way forward for all of us. There are not many ways to get where you want to go. There are not many ways that lead to a fulfilled life. There is one way that leads to a fulfilled life. The life that you dream of in your future, that you're like, oh, my meaning and purpose and great relationships, and I just love the life that I live. All of that happens when we listen to the Holy Spirit. That's the one way forward. You wait and you listen to God. There are not many ways to get there. There's one way to get there. You listen to God. You assume the posture of listening. That, that is our primary and most critical action as the church. It's the most important thing we do. It's the thing that sets us apart. It's the only path forward is listening to God. Amen? Jake, you can come on up and uh, we're going to pray and sing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for a little bit, and then I'm going to give you a chance to just pray on your own. Uh, this is the time, right? You could be like, I got to get home, and I got to do stuff, and I got... You don't. You don't have to do it. God brought you all the way down here. You made it in here. Take two minutes and listen. I told you at the beginning of this, the most of the mistakes that you see as we continue through the book of Acts will be people who didn't wait and didn't listen. And as we sit and pray for a minute... And just reflect on what God's doing in our life. There's going to be some of you who hear very clearly from the Holy Spirit. You've been doing this thing. You didn't ask me once. You rushed in this thing. You didn't wait for me. You did this, made this decision, and you didn't even ask me if it was the right decision. Or I told you what to do, and you've been doing something else. I, I say all that from experience, because that's how the Holy Spirit talks to me all the time. Listen to that. Don't run from it. Listen to that. Let's go ahead and pray.